Well, welcome. My name is Andy Hall. If you are new here at CODA, so, okay, I don't know what's going on. So uh, anyways, uh, my name is Andy. I have the privilege of uh, leading our student ministry, 6th through 12th grade, myself, along with three other uh, leaders and um, uh, also a missional community. Uh, and so yesterday, real quick, yesterday our youth um, hosted and led a one-day backyard Bible club here at the church, and it was fantastic, and I think the youth had a good time with it. The kids that were able to be here had a good time as well, and um, we talked about Bible verse and Bible theme, and we had this great uh, gospel uh, song that we were teaching the kids, and uh, and so we were really excited about it and felt like it was a great day, and Avery was telling me that two of her, two of her boys were here, and, and uh, she said that they woke up this morning not singing the great gospel song that we have, but a song called Peel the Banana. So it was something that students taught them, some goofy song. So anyways, uh, it, it was fun. So we had a good time, uh, but I'm proud of our youth uh, that were able to be here and to be a part of that uh, yesterday. Um, we are in a series on the Lord's Prayer. Uh, we've It's a five-week series. We're in week three, and you can find it in Matthew chapter 6. Verses 5 through 14. And so we're going to continue with our uh, journey through the Lord's Prayer this morning. So if you would, uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, you can find one in front of you, the Blue Bible. You can take that with you. But if you turn to 1012, that's the page you'll find uh, the, the text that we'll be in this morning. And so I'm going to start with Matthew chapter 6, verses 5. And um, let's listen to what Jesus says concerning the Lord's Prayer. He says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and to pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses... Neither will your father forgive you your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. So often with the students, we talk about how context is king. So anytime we dive into a text and study scripture, it's important to understand the context in which that scripture is sitting in. And so as we think about the Lord's Prayer, we need to understand that it sits within a larger sermon, which is the Sermon on the Mount, which is arguably the greatest sermon ever preached. It's Jesus' manifesto about the kingdom of God, how the kingdom of God uh, comes in and affects the everyday life. And so right in the middle of this sermon, at the very heart of this sermon, is this extended teaching about prayer, right at the heart of the sermon. And so as we've talked about over the last couple of weeks, that this prayer mirrors 
the Ten Commandments. You can think of it like the Ten Commandments in this way, that there are two major parts to the prayer, just as there's two major parts to the Ten Commandments. The first part of the prayer is verses uh, 9 and 10, which is the Godward upward focus of the prayer. Uh, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And today we begin to make the transition into the second half of the prayer, which is more outward focused as far as our human relationships and human needs. And so we begin today thinking about the second part of the prayer. Now, Just like the first half of the prayer, the second half of the prayer has three requests. And so for the first, for the next three weeks, starting today, we want to take each of those requests and kind of unpack them a little bit more. So that's kind of the direction we're going, uh, today and for the next three weeks as far as, uh, in terms of going to God with the reality of our needs. And so today, what our focus is going to be is on verse 11, which says, give us this day our daily bread. Now, as you read the prayer and think about the prayer uh, and study the prayer and listen to what Jesus is saying, he begins the prayer saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you would think that the next words out of his mouth would be some kind of lofty, eternal, grand request. But that's not what comes out of his mouth. The next words that come out of his mouth is, Give us this day our daily bread. And it almost feels like that Jesus is driving down the road, hits the brakes and takes a sharp turn. Uh, and because in your mind, or at least in my mind, maybe your, your mind doesn't work this way, but in my mind, he goes from this lofty grandeur of glory, uh, to this everyday mundane routine needs. And he does it really, really fast. He goes from the transcendent to the common, like immediately. There's no soft descent down. It's just a rapid talking about God, his glory, his kingdom, his will to meet our daily need, daily bread, the common needs that we have. So give us this day, our daily bread. But why does he do that? Well, I think he does it because Jesus knows hunger. Jesus knows our needs. The all-powerful, transcendent, self-sufficient God of the universe descended, took on human weakness, uh, and he knows our needs. He's experienced everything that we experience. He knows our weakness, and he knows that we need our Father in heaven to meet our needs on a daily basis. And so the statement, give us this day, our daily bread, is a daily reminder, meant to be a daily reminder of our ongoing need for God. Now you might think, well, if God already knows what I need, because that's what Jesus says in verse 8, that God, for God, for the Father knows what you need before you ask him. So if that is the case, if God already knows what we need before we ask him, then what is the point of even asking now, I think it's because Jesus knows that prayer is about being changed by God. We don't go uh, through prayer to God in order that God would be changed. We go to God through prayer so that we will be changed. And Jesus knows this. And so what I want us to see this morning as we think about this particular aspect of the prayer is three things. First, that Jesus is leading us into a deeper relationship with the Father. Secondly, that Jesus is leading us to an increased awareness of our need and how the Father meets that need daily. And then the third thing is that Jesus leads us into community. He leads us together 
with those needs for one another. And so let's think about the first thing, that Jesus leads us into a deeper relationship with the Father. Now, think again with me how this prayer starts. This prayer starts, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The point is, is that we will rightly see who God is, and in rightly seeing who God is, that we would posture ourselves before him in a right way before we would bring our requests and our needs before him. Earlier this year with the youth, we talked about prayer. Uh, we tried to give tools to help build, uh, help build a prayer life. And one of the tools that we used was the acronym PRAY. P is for praise, R, repent, A is ask, and Y is yield. The purpose of the first two letters, the P and the R, is to rightly see God and to rightly posture ourselves before him before we come before him and ask of a request of the needs that we have. And then from that, yielding by trusting that he is the provider and that he will provide those needs. And I think that is in part what Jesus is doing here with the Lord's Prayer. He wants us to learn how to rightly relate to God before we ask of God of the needs that we have. Because Jesus knows that when we rightly relate to our Father in heaven, that we will pray differently. He's reminding us not only of how awesome and great and grand our Father in heaven is, but in comparison to his omnipotence, how impotent we are without him. We are a needy people. And God knows this because God created us. Psalm 103.14 says, He knows our frame and remembers that we are but dust. So Jesus wants us to remember this every day. And that we would, in response, rightly come before God. That our hearts would be rightly oriented before him. And so in some sense, this prayer is a way of us saying, I know my frame. I know I am but dust. I know that I am wholly dependent on God who created me, who loves me, who gives me life, and who sustains my life on the everyday as well as in its totality. And this is a beautiful gift of salvation. It is a wonderful gift of salvation. Now, when we talk about salvation, that that word encompasses a whole lot of things. For one, it it means that we have been saved from the penalty of sin, that, that we have fallen short of the way that God intends for us to live, that we have rebelled against him, that we have turned away from him and gone our own way. And because of this, we deserve the just punishment of our sin, which is death. But God in his grace and in his mercy sent Jesus who came to do for us, which we cannot do for ourselves. He lived the perfect life in obedience to the father that we have not. He died in our place as our substitute, the death that we deserve on the cross. And he rose again from the grave. So that in him we would be cleansed of all of the ways in which we have fallen short of, of God and that we would be made right with him. And by faith we believe this through the work of the Holy Spirit who comes inside and he cleanses us and he saves us and he redeems us and he makes us alive together with Christ and he creates us as new creatures in him. And so salvation includes this, but this is not all that salvation includes. Salvation isn't just about a past event. It's about an ongoing present reality. Not only have we been saved through Christ, but we are being saved as well. And so it's a gift of his grace that our eyes are open to see what we could not see before. 
to see God for who he really is and what he has done for us in Christ and to see that apart from him we are nothing, we have nothing, that we are in desperate need of him, not just for salvation, but for our daily needs. And so Jesus says, pray, our Father in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. Yes, our Father knows what we need before we ask him. But Jesus is leading us into a deeper, ongoing relationship with the Father and and into an increasing awareness of our ongoing dependency on him for our daily needs. And so Jesus wants us to understand that this is a daily thing. This is a daily thing. And this is great about our Father because our Father is not one who blesses us with all of these things in one lump sum, gives us everything we want in one lump sum, and then walks away and says, okay, you have everything you want, have a good life. Our Father in heaven is not like that. That is not the way that God is. He gives us our what we need daily for that day so that we will relate to him. That's what he's calling us into. He is not just the God who gives good gifts. He is the God who is the gift himself. He gives us himself as the greatest gift. And Jesus knows this. And he knows that by coming to the Father daily and saying, Our Father in heaven, give us this day our daily bread, is another way of us saying, I need you. It's a way of coming to the Father saying, I need you to provide and sustain me for this day. Because God built us to need him to provide for us every single day. And he did this intentionally. Why? He did it this way so that we would go to him every day. And so the beauty of the need is that it leads us to the provider. And then by coming to the provider, we get a relationship with the one who provides. And so Jesus here is leading us from loving God for what he gives to loving God for who he is. That's the point. That we move, this transition, this heart shift, this reorientation in our hearts is what Jesus is after. But there are times, no doubt, that we come to the Father because there are just things that we need. And that's good. And that's right. And that is what we should do. That's what he's calling us into. And so the prayer reminds us through our needs and leads us into a relationship to God who meets those needs. And that is good. And the Father welcomes that and he invites that and he loves that. And so the daily prayer, give us our daily bread, is one way of God saying to us, I am with you to provide for you. I love you. And that's the point of the prayer. Our Father in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. So Jesus leads us, is leading us into a deeper relationship with the Father, but he's also leading us to an increased awareness of our own needs and how the Father meets those needs on a daily basis. Now we all are in need of daily bread. We're needy. And that's a good thing. We need daily bread. So, so what is daily bread? Daily bread basically is saying, give us what is necessary to survive for the day. Praying for daily bread is not praying for excess or luxury. It's praying for what you need. It's praying for what you need for that day to survive for that day. Now, when I was thinking about this, and maybe it comes to your mind, what is the Old Testament picture that comes to your mind when you think of daily bread? I know for me, it's manna in the wilderness. If you remember that story in Exodus 16, God has brought the people out of slavery and they're in the wilderness and they're hungry. And so he says, this is what I'm going to do. 
Every morning you will go out and I will have for you this daily bread, this wafer-like substance that will be on the ground. And you go and you collect it. And then he tells them, but just collect what you need for the day. Do not collect excess. Do not collect any more. If you collect it and try to store it, then it will rot by the next day. Just get what you need for the day and trust me that I will provide it for you each and every day. And of course, what do they do? If you remember the story, they start hoarding, they start collecting, they start gathering and trying to store it up because they do not trust him. And I think in a lot of ways, we are like that. We think, well, what if he won't provide? What if he doesn't come through? I know that's the camp that I'm in in a a lot of ways and a lot of times. I'm not sure I can really trust that God is going to provide to meet my needs. But what does God tell the Israelites? He tells them not to store it up. But then he tells them on the sixth day, the evening of the sixth, I want you to store it up. Because the seventh day is the day of rest. So on the, on the day of rest, you don't have to go out and collect. It will be there. It will be there for you to provide for your needs for that day as well. And on this night, and only on this night, it will not rot. I will sustain what I've provided for you to meet your needs for that day. And sure enough, that's what God does. He sustains on that night the bread for the next day. And so for some of us, God might be saying, save up for something and trust me that I will sustain it. But for others, he may be saying, you need to give away what you're hoarding, what you're collecting, because you're not trusting me that I will provide for your daily needs. Because if we're honest, if I'm honest, the reason why I hoard, the reason why I keep, the reason why I won't give away is not because I'm trying to obey God. It's because I'm walking in fear that God won't or God will uh, can't provide for my daily needs. And I wonder if that is where any of you are. So I don't know how this lands on you. But I think part of praying this prayer is a way of saying, God, help me to trust you, that you will provide to meet my needs so that I will be willing to give away what I don't need. Now, let me be clear that it's not wrong to have a lot. It's not wrong at all to have a lot, but it is dangerous. It's not wrong, but it is dangerous. And this is why is because we have a tendency to begin to wake up and to think that we don't need anybody to meet our daily needs. We wake up and we begin to not only find isolation from God, but isolation from one another. And one of my concerns for church, for us as a people and and for myself, is that we don't really, we will begin to feel like we don't really need to pray our Father in heaven, give us this day our daily bread because we don't really feel dependent on God to provide for our daily need. We can provide for ourselves. Now, maybe for some of you, that's not true. Maybe for some of you, the reality is I pray this prayer every day because God has to provide for my need. Because if he doesn't provide for my need today, I won't have what I need for the day to make it to the end of the day. I realize that that is true for some. But I imagine for the overwhelming majority of all of us, most of us, is that if we're not careful, we will begin to feel as if we don't need anybody. And we don't need God to provide because we will provide for ourselves. And so I want to remind all of us and I want to remind myself that we are a desperately needy people. Even if we act like we have everything, the reality is that we wouldn't be alive if the God of the universe didn't breathe life into us and sustain our life by the word of his power. We are wholly and completely dependent upon him. 
And so I would ask, what is it that you take for granted? What is it that you take for granted? Because every day is a gift. Every skill is by his grace and every moment is his kindness and every richness that you enjoy is by his blessing. And so we want to be a people that don't take these gifts for granted, but that we remember them with gratitude. And this prayer is a way, a tool, a source. It serves as a reminder of all, to all of us that we are desperately needy people. And so it doesn't matter if you have a lot and it doesn't matter if you have a little. If your heart is not content and satisfied in God, then you will always want more. And so I think for some of us, when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, it might need to sound more like give us this day the grace to know that enough is enough. Give me the grace to know that I am content and satisfied in you because the world keeps telling me that I need more and more and more. And I know this is a real struggle. It's a struggle in my own life. It is a reality and a struggle. And I want to be a person who is growing and being content with who God is and what he has given me. So that I might say, as the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 4, 11 through 13. For I have learned in whatever situation how to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger of abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Notice Paul is not saying that it's bad to have a lot at all. But what he is saying is I have learned how to be content if I have a lot or if I have nothing. Why? Because he is the one who sustains me. He is the one who satisfies me. He is the one who strengthens me for the day to make it through the day. And so this prayer doesn't just lead us into a deeper relationship with God, our Father who is in heaven, but it leads us to an increasing awareness of our need for God and a deepening desire to be content in God so that we don't look elsewhere to be satisfied by other things other than God. That's what, is, that's what Jesus is leading us into. So God wants to lead you to himself through your need, but he also wants to lead us to one another in community. See, this prayer isn't just about leading us to God in, in the awareness of our daily need, but leading us to one another. Listen to what, look, look at what the prayer says in, in the portion that we're talking about. Notice that it doesn't say, give me this day my daily bread. That's not what it says. He says, give us this day our daily bread. And notice how the prayer starts at the very beginning. It doesn't say my father in heaven. It says our father in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. This prayer by its very nature is a communal prayer. It is reminding us that we are to be together in our neediness and not be alone in our isolation. I heard a, a story one time of a, I don't know if it's true or not, but it's a student in a, in, um, uh, in a monastery and the student was breaking silence for dinner and he gave, uh, and he was giving out the bread and he asked, did we make this bread or was this bread given to us? To which the monk replied, yes. You see, it's a beautiful picture. Give us this day our daily bread in that bread is communal by nature. The bread that you eat, you didn't make on with just your hands. 
There was land, there's sun, there's water, there's the tilling of the ground. There was seeds that was plant. There was, there was the working of the ground. There was the harvesting. There was the breaking it down, the kneading, uh, the, the baking, the delivering of that. And then in this case, the breaking of the bread and that delivered to you. The very nature of breaking bread with one another is communal activity because you're sharing something that was brought to you through the hands of of another and now is being delivered to you by the breaking of that bread. And so it's a picture, it's meant to be a beautiful picture of community, being in community with one another. And this is how the early church was described. When the Spirit of of God fell on the early church and they began to multiply and flourish and, and move out. In Acts 42, it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and breaking bread with one another. And then a little bit further down in verse 46 and 47, it says, Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. I find it interesting that the way that the early church is described is described as a church that gathers and eats together regularly. This is what they did. This is how they lived life. This is how they ministered to one another and met one another's needs. Why? Because when you get around a table for a meal, you're saying in community that we all have need. And it's in the community that our common need gets met by a common meal. And this is what we call communion. And the beauty of meal is that meals tell us that we're lacking. At least three times, unless you eat like once or twice a day. But on a regular routine basis, you are reminded that there's, there's something in you that is lacking. That you cannot sustain yourself in and of yourself. That you need something outside of you to come inside of you to sustain your life. And that's the beauty of milk because God is waking us up on a daily basis by the very nature of the way he designed us that there is something beyond us that we need to sustain life. Meant to point us to even a greater reality which is God himself. And what's true about this prayer if we are being honest is that give us this day our daily bread is not a prayer that you can pray in isolation. Because God did not design you or create you or intend intend for you to be alone. Now, some of you might be thinking, and at times I think, I'm not alone. I have my spouse and I have my kids and that's enough. And I would say, no, it's not. No, it's not. Biblically, you would never come to that conclusion. You cannot read your Bible and come to a conclusion that that is what God intends for you. You cannot do that because there's nothing anywhere close as that being the description of God's people in Scripture or of humanity for that matter. See, God wants you to be in community with others, to share a common need and a common provision. And we see this in the life of Jesus. Jesus, if you study his life, his entire life was centered around a table with a bunch of people. That's how he lived. That's how he did ministry. In fact, he was called a glutton and a drunkard. And it's not because he ate too much or he drank too much. It comes from Deuteronomy 20, 21. When the 
parents were to bring a rebellious son before the elders. And they were to say to the elders when they brought the rebellious son to them, they were supposed to say, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious and we will not obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard. It's meant, the phrase is meant to identify the kinds of people that the son hung around with in rebellion against the parents. And so they, they, they're calling Jesus here a glutton and a drunkard, not because he ate too much or he drank too much, but because of who he ate with and who he ate or drank with. And who was it that Jesus ate and drank with? He drank with, ate and drank with sinners and tax collectors. Sinners were those who did not keep the law and by their very nature of the way that they lived, they were deemed unclean. And the tax collectors were, were the Jews who worked with the Roman government collecting taxes from God's people, extorting the money from God's people, not only to bolster up Rome, but to line their own pockets. And so Jesus goes and hangs out with them. He's not hanging out with those in the synagogue, tightly around the synagogue and hanging out with those who see themselves as godly. No, he, he is going and hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. So he's being called, you are a glutton and a drunkard. Because what they saw is that when you sat at a table, at a place with somebody else, you were saying with them that I identify with you, that I am one with you. So why did Jesus do that? He did it because he knew that when you, when he went to the cross, he was going to fully identify with sinners and become sin for them at the cross. So every meal with Jesus was a way of him saying that I love you, that I identify with you, that I am enough to meet your deepest needs. That I will associate with you at great cost to myself because there's one day that I will associate with you before my Father in heaven and you will be cleansed and completely forgiven. And so we pray, give us this day our daily bread. It's not give me, but it's give us coming together at a table, helping one another and pointing one another to Jesus. And this is why, church, that we believe that missional community groups are so important here Coda. Because we are coming together with one another and we're sharing real needs with people who come along, who can come alongside of you. And the mill is just one reminder that we are here to serve one another. And it's meant to be a communal mill where everyone is contributing to that mill. It's a picture of us giving us our daily bread. And when we are in real community and we're praying this, this is the kind of how we're living out and praying this together. We're praying in light of the needs around us. We're not praying, give me what I need. We're saying, give us what we need. And the amazing part about this prayer is that sometimes you are the answer to that prayer. That's why we need community. Which is why it's so dangerous and can be so dangerous for us to come, to sit, listen to a sermon, staring at the backs of people's heads, and then walk away, not ever walking into or living out what the Bible is actually calling us into, which is to live in a community on mission, deeply loving one another and meeting one another's needs. That's the pattern we see in the early church. That's the pattern we see in the life of Christ. And when God called Abraham, he told him, I will make your name great. And through you, I will bless the nations of the earth. You see, when God, God's intention in giving us what we have is so that we would be a blessing to those around us. We're not giving a blessing so that we can be blessed people. We're giving a, given a blessing so that through those blessings, we might bless others. 
This is why give us this day our daily bread is preceded by your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because when our hearts and minds are heavenward and heaven bound, that it is meant to have an effect and infect how we live our daily lives now. That it would be on earth as it is in heaven. That the richness of what God has given us here would be given away like he gave his son. That our daily bread is not ours to hoard, but to give like the father gave the bread of life. And so I just want you to notice one more thing. Notice the very next verse. Verse 12, it says, forgive us our trespasses. I find it incredibly interesting that give us this day our daily bread is right in between your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And right after that is forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who've trespassed against us. Because Jesus knows that when we begin to pay attention to the fact that we probably are not content and satisfied with God in which and what God has given us. And that we long and strive for more. And we hoard and hold on to what we have. And we don't regularly open up our table and share our lives with those that are around us. When we begin to realize this, we begin to realize how much we're not telling the truth about what our Father in Heaven is really like. And as we realize that, we begin to ask for forgiveness. And Jesus puts it here because He knows that He's about to go to the cross. And He's about to secure the forgiveness for us. By his life, his death, and his resurrection. So this is why we come to the table. Why we take communion every single week. It's meant to remind us. That the bread of life and the bread of life alone is is who sustains us. And so we pray give us this day our daily bread. As a common reminder of our common need. And our common provision. And so my prayer is that God would help us to be a people who don't just pray this prayer regularly, but that we might continue to grow and increase in being the kind of people who live this prayer regularly and daily. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we recognize that you are our Father in heaven. And we ask that you would set your name to be hallowed, that you would set it apart in our lives and that it would affect who we are and how we live. That we would be in so awe of you and your grace and your kindness towards us in Christ that we would earnestly desire what is true in heaven would be true on earth. That we would pray the prayer, give us this day our daily bread with hearts that acknowledge that we need you but also with hearts that are ready to give. Father, we want the world to know how generous you are. We want them to see the kindness of your grace that you've given to us in Christ Jesus. And we want them to see this in the way that we share our lives with one another, in the ways in which we give, in the ways that we eat with one another, in the ways that we bless others. And so we ask that you would give us this day our daily bread. And we pray that you would help us to take your grace, to not take your grace for granted. And so, Father, we need you right now. And we know that you're here and we know that you love your people and you're calling us to yourself. And so we pray and ask that you would just continue to do that in our hearts. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, each